good afternoon. Welcome to the Cowries and Rice podcast, a perfectly passable China-Africa podcast broadcasting from the heart of global China-Africa research in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Enkem Kalu, and I'm joined by the well-rested Winslow Robertson. Winslow, how does it feel to no longer be in the hosting chair? It's okay. I'm shrugging. It's like vacation for you, isn't it? Is it is a vacation. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors, African... Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. Africa Development Jobs is a site run by Nina Duro, and it seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify employment, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. The Africa Daily is an online communications platform that provides most up-to-date journalistic and academic information on China-Africa relations. The forum incorporated in the website also facilitates the cultural and informational exchange among the diaspora communities in major Chinese and African cities. We have discussed Chinese-South Sudanese history and got an update on South Sudanese relations with some of its neighbors. Today, we want to look at China's role in the future of South Sudan. Today, we're also joined by a special guest, a very, very special guest, personal friend of mine, Natalina Mawal. Natalina, welcome on the pod. Could you talk a little bit about your background and your interest in South Sudan? Okay. Um, I am actually, um, I call myself a housewife, um, a refugee resettlement you know, officer. I came to the United States of America about six, 17 years ago. Um, my background, I'm a teacher, I'm an English teacher. I am a graduate of uh, uh, Cairo University. I, I studied literature there. Um, Cairo in Egypt? Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and even though, you know, it's not a wonderful place to be right now, but, you know, I had wonderful years there. I lived in England for about six years. I also worked with refugees in England. Uh, and then I moved to the United States of America where I continue to work with refugees. That's really amazing. Um, today's episode, we'll have Natalina talk about South Sudan's current conflict, its future, and what China means for both the conflict and the, and the, the future of South Sudan. We are pleased to point out that we have actual South Sudanese voices on hand, well, voice, singular. Um, although, sadly, we had wanted to get um, a Chinese voice on to be a part of the dialogue. That didn't happen today, but we'll move right along with the conversation. Um, a cessation of hostilities was recently signed in Addis Ababa on Wednesday. Could you give us your thoughts on what, on what that means for South Sudan? Um, it actually means a lot. Um, you know, the hostility started in December 15, and uh, we have uh, experienced a death that we have never seen before. Um, close to uh, probably 15,000 um, souls have, have been killed, you know, for the last month only. 400 displaced internally. 400,000 400,000 people displaced internally, uh, which, of course, you know, they're facing dire humanitarian, you know, needs. Um, the cessation of, of, uh, of hostilities will mean... Um, just the beginning. This is just the beginning of a long way, you know, towards peace. Even though some are very skeptical, I'm one of them, uh, because you know the the leader of the rebel is not uh, completely 
con under control of the rebels. Uh, the rebels are divided into you know different factions, and they have their own leaders. So I don't I don't know whether this accession of hostilities will actually um, uh, work, you know, locally, especially the places where they're still, you know, uh, controlled by the by the rebels. I read yesterday in BBC uh, there's this gentleman who went to a very far, you know, remote area in South Sudan where the rebels are. And the young people who was like, you know, you look like 17, 18, 20 years old. They're still talking about we are continuing with the with the war. We're going to march to Juba and we're going to kill the president and, you know, and put Riyadh Machar uh, to be the president. Um, so it, it doesn't give us much confidence when we see such reports. So we it's, it's going to be a matter of wait and see if this, you know, ceasefire is actually really going to be effective or not. Um, I think it's quite, quite fascinating that you bring up BBC because one of the things that um, I think I've seen and most of the other people keeping track of the situation in South Sudan have noticed is that there is a lot of discrepancy in the media reports as to what's going on in South Sudan. Um, one day you hear um, a certain piece of news and six hours later there's a con you know almost conflicting story that's come out on the same news mediums saying, oh no, this information that we had about rebel groups capturing a certain town um, may or may not be true. Um, how do we, you know, how do you think that we, I guess, how do we hear African voices or how do we really know what's going on on the ground? And can you also talk about um, just some of the cultural nuances in this conflict? Because I think that's what people don't understand is um, what's really going on and, and why, why we have a conflict in South Sudan right now. Well, the media, um, there's a lot of misinformation in the media in which actually in my opinion, added, you know, fuel to uh, already an existing situation in, in South Sudan. Historically, uh, the Nuer and the Dinka, uh, their neighbors, uh, they, uh, they always, you know, um, have fights, you know, among each other, but they were never political. It was, uh, you know, because all, the Nuer and the Dinka are cattle herders. So, there's, uh, you know, there are elements of people that go to the Nuer area still cows so that they can come and get married here, or the Dinka will go and bring their cows back and all that kind of stuff. But this, uh, this ethnic, you know, uh, feud has always been there, and it's, it's not something that worried uh, a lot of people um, who are living in South Sudan. Now it has a different dimension to it, uh, because now we have been, you know, granted this beautiful country uh, that belongs to us, and I think a lot of people still uh, have to uh, understand what is the national identity versus ethnic identity. Uh, we're still, you know, um, uh, very much inclined ethnically. Uh, we identify ourselves uh, by the tribe that you're coming from. You ask somebody who you're coming from, the first thing they'll tell you, like, I'm a Dinka from South Sudan. Instead of saying, I'm a you know, South Sudanese and I come from the Dinka tribe, you know. And so I think there's a lot of um, work that has to be done to, to teach people they, your national identity, and which eliminate you know this ethnic you know uh, uh, inclination of a lot of people. Um, the media played along uh, the 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 game of the rebels when they went out and say, oh, the Nuer were, were killed, 
And so, therefore, there was a young pe a lot of young people in the name of the White Army who are already charged, they were ready there, armed, trained to kill. They needed a reason for them to go out and lash out, and that's exactly what happened. So the conflict was a political conflict. It was never an ethnic conflict. It was saddening for me to see those BBC or, uh, or Jazeera when they say, oh, uh, this is an ethnic you know, war between the Dinka and the Nuer. And even when they report, they report like this. Uh, the, the conflict is between Salfakir, who's a Dinka, and Riyad Machar, who's a Nuer. When you identify them like that, you, you, you're actually fueling all this you know, feeling that is already existing there. I would prefer the media to be neutral about this, or at least you know, understand the background of the cultural you know, um, differences that we have. So um, I, I think the media played a big role in you know, fueling some of this uh, ethnicity. Um, there are uh, South Sudanese who are living abroad. Um, I think they misunderstood uh, what PR can do and how, what damage it can do. The PR can be good and PR can be bad. In this situation of ours, PR was really, really bad for South Sudan. And it increased, you know, uh, the hostilities among people. Um, people were, you know, insulting each other on Facebook. People were emailing each other. People who used to be friends and never thought about he's a dinko or a nuer. Now they are actually at each other on Facebook, you know, insulting each other. So it, it's, it's so sad, you know, to see um, these, you know, hostilities among people. And, uh, and the, the, the unfortunate thing is that it's only the youth who are dying. And this is supposed to be the, you know, the future generation of South Sudan. It's the young people who are dying. And, and then the villagers who have no understanding of what the political conflict is all about are being displaced. They don't understand why they have to live under the tree or in the UN camp. Wow, this sounds strangely reminiscent of... Um <clears throat> what happened in Rwanda not very long ago. And um, again, in, in that particular situation, the, the media, especially Western media, did such a poor job of informing the rest of the world um, of what was going on and in many ways allowing for the, the, the ethnic strife to, to be exacerbated by, by um, nefarious elements. Do you think that South Sudan will reach that place? I mean, we, we were already talking about 15,000 people dead. That's a horrific number um, for what's only been a month of conflict and you know, 400,000 people internally displaced. How do we stop South Sudan from being another Rwanda? Uh, it's going to take time. Um, uh, but one thing about South Sudanese, they're very forgiving people. Riyad Machar himself uh, did this in 1991 when we were fighting uh, with the North. He defected, and he caused, you know, the death of 2,000 Dinka at that time. And when we signed the CPA, uh, he came back, and South Sudanese forgave him and brought him back into the fold. And and you know, and he actually apologized for what had happened and all that kind of stuff. And so, South Sudanese, they they're very forgiving people. Uh, I think, you know, without adding to, uh, to the dimension of what's going on right now, if South Sudanese among themselves sit down and try to identify exactly 
what are the challenges they're facing, what is the problem, and how they can solve it. I'm sure they can reach a, a place where they can actually be peaceful and they can actually be, you know, uh, living in one place uh, again. But uh, it will take time, uh, you know, like anything else. Uh, people ha need to have time to heal, and uh, I'm, I'm sure one day we'll get there and we'll be peaceful again and we'll develop, you know, the country that we want it to be like any other country in the world. Wow. Um, it's very, very moving. Um, a major challenge for South Sudan, one that, you know, we've discussed earlier on multiple occasions, is economic and social development. And those have been things that in some ways have helped um, create a, a conflict-ready situation and, well, a present conflict that we're seeing now. And um, been a lot of discussions recently on the role that the Chinese can play in economic development, um, not just in Africa, but also in South Sudan right now. Because South Sudan, um, as we both know, is, um, is really starting from scratch um, with regards to infrastructure development, um, creating institutions, creating market systems. Um, you have a, a, a region that has been in conflict for so long that there's been no infrastructure in place to build upon. You're having to build these things um, from scratch. How do you think um, China can play a role in that? And can you also talk about your perceptions of, um, of, of China with regards to um, economic and social development opportunities in Africa and in South Sudan, well, more specifically in South Sudan? Well, you know, South Sudan, of course, is an oil, you know, producing country. And, uh, and the, the pipeline that, you know, that goes between South Sudan and the north was built by the Chinese. Therefore, South Sudan found themselves when they had the secession, you know, from the south, from the, from the north, they have to deal with Chinese because they have a bigger stake in, in the oil production. And, and uh, the Chinese so far really played a big role in developing the little, you know, development that had happened in South Sudan. Um, my perspective of what China actually can, can bring into South Sudan, China has the money. They will come and develop. Uh, my only fear about Chinese, you know, um, investing in South Sudan is the fact that they actually do not develop, you know, the the people who are in the country. They bring their own expertise and they do, you know, they do, they do the work and all that kind of stuff. And South Sudan is a new country. It needs to be developed. You know, they, the people have to be developed. They have to, you know, learn new, new skills and expertise and all that kind of stuff. If China is going to bring in their people, then we're not going to learn. So do we, we will always be in the same place. So as much as we are very grateful of what China is doing right now, and they're playing a huge role right now in trying to bring the peace in South Sudan, they are, they've been very good. They, they brought money. They helped humanitarian you know, assistance. They are actually in Addis right now, you know, trying to mediate between the, the two groups who are trying to, you know, bring the peace. Um, they have been playing a very positive role uh, in trying to make sure that South Sudan actually becomes peaceful and becomes economically sound. Um, 
but I hope you know they actually bring also um, intention of trying to teach South Sudanese to be also independent, not to completely relying on the Chinese money, on the Chinese you know expertise, and all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> in our podcast from last week, one of the things that our visitor then, um, Dr. Dan Large, had brought up was. Um, the fact that China does not relate with African states in a vacuum, and China is not the only player in South Sudan. The rest of the international community is a player in South Sudan. Uganda is a controversial player in South Sudan um, because of their offers to um, assist in the conflict. I think that's the best way to put that. And But other African states are, and, and, um, and Western states and, and the rest of the world, the international community, is a player in the conflict, what role do you think they have? And, and how do you think that they can best help South Sudan move from this stage? Well, you know, uh, to tell you the truth, the role that uh, the neighboring countries to South Sudan played just recently, which, you know, uh, translate into the EGAT countries, I think it was very positive. Uh, this situation could have actually uh, gone or escalated to be worse, but because Kenya came in, uh, Uganda came in, Ethiopia came in, and immediately they wanted, you know, to contain the hostilities as not to escalate into something huge. Uh, they were the first people to come in and talk to two people, you know, that are involved in the conflict, that's Riyad Machar and the Salfa. And they actually managed to get the committee together and brought people to Addis to sit down and, and, and talk about peace. In, in this aspect, I think they really played a huge role, and I think all the South Sudanese are, are looking upon them as we feel like indebted to them because, you know, they actually uh, help, you know, they're trying to bring peace to South Sudan. Of course, you know, that's a naive look into it because, you know, uh, the, the, the stability of South Sudan means the stability of Ethiopia, means economic, you know, stability of Uganda and Kenya. Since South Sudan signed a peace agreement in 2005, South Sudan doesn't have anything uh, produced internally, even though we have very rich agriculture, we have oil and we have all this stuff. But we can't even buy our own tomatoes because we don't grow them. They come from Uganda. You want to buy, you know, just a simple, you know, uh, commodities in the market. They either come from Uganda or they come from Kenya. So Kenya benefited a lot from the secession of South Sudan as a country. And that's the same thing of, you know, of Uganda. So naturally, Uganda, him, or Uganda being in South Sudan and assisting uh, with, the, you know, what's going on right now, it's also trying to look for their interests also and make sure that, you know, their stability, their economic, you know, um, stability is, is intact. A, a turmoil South Sudan is not a good, you know, thing for, for Kenya, it's not good for Ethiopia, it's not good for, for Uganda. Most of the people who are doing businesses in South Sudan right now, the business owners are coming from Ethiopia, Uganda, and Kenya you find very probably just about 2-3% of South Sudanese. The reason being, of course, South Sudan, it's a country that's starting from scratch. Um, the level of education is almost like, you know, there's only 2% 2, 2 or 5% of people who are educated, and most of which are living in diaspora, in abroad. They're not back home. And so 
it benefited a lot of the Ethiopian and the Ugandans, you know, to come and do businesses in South Sudan. So um, the South Sudanese themselves, they believe uh, uh, for the future economic of South Sudan, it's better for them to deal with their neighbors than to deal with, you know, Europeans or the Americans. And so believe that businesses should actually be in Africa instead of we reaching out to, you know, to other European countries. In that framework, how, do, how does China fit in? So, you know, after the cessation of hostilities, I, I, I thought, you know, IAD did a phenomenal job trying to get the parties together, although obviously not for pure altruistic reasons. Um, but some of the pe some of the, the narrative I've been seeing is, ah, because China stepped in, this happened. And I'm curious because, well, yeah, China stepped in, but, you know, the U.S. and the EU also had a big stake. So is it a function of China is is also playing the same part as the U.S. and the EU, or, or China is is a unique actor in this sort of in this sort of dialogue? It, uh, obviously, the, the oil interests are, are important, but did China make did China make more of a difference than EGAD, for example, or did China make more of a difference than the U.S. or the EU? And, it's, and if and if you can't speak to that, that's that's fine. It's a very specific. Well, I question. believe I believe China made a, a, a big difference in EGAD because you know the Chinese they you know they have a big stake in Uganda, they have a big stake in Kenya, they are almost in every uh, except from Ethiopia. I don't know whether they are. That they're really, in, Ethiopia. In, in Ethiopia in a, in a big yes. way. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yes, I mean, the Chinese are protecting their, you know, their interests because they have billions of billions of dollars invested, you know, on these neighboring countries, on these four or five countries that are, you know, that are in IGAD right now. And it is in interest of China that these countries not to get into any, you know, other hostilities so that their investment can continue. China doesn't have oil. They rely on South Sudanese oil. They have to buy oil from you know, from uh, uh, countries of, like Africa. Um, the, but the difference between the other countries, uh, especially like the United States of America and China, you know, effect in, in, in South Sudan, I'm going to talk on South Sudan. Uh, the Americans has has this tendency of uh, over analyze, to overanalyze the situation. And and the Chinese, they come readily. They say, okay, you want to build a road here? The Chinese will come and say, okay, how much is it going to cost you? It's going to cost me $2 million. The Chinese say, okay, here's the $2 million. The Americans are like, okay, we need to do this study. We need to do that. We need to do this. And by the time they do this, the Chinese already paid for, for that road. And that's the that's the you know the effect of China in 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 in, South, in in Africa because they are fast in delivering, then you know because they need to be invested in you know in Africa, they don't have land in China they you know they don't have the oil in China so they have to um, they have the money, which Af which Africans want or need, so it's um, interesting. Transaction. Uh, that's that's really fascinating. It, as a South Sudanese, for China to intervene, 
for lack of a better term, in South Sudan's internal affairs versus some of the earlier conflicts between the nation of Sudan before the, the before the the, the, the CAP was the, the CPA w was signed. Does that mean anything to you, or just as eh, the way things the way things work in this world? No hard feelings. It does. It. It. Uh, I don't know how to think about that. I mean, I didn't think about it in that, in that kind of way um, because I was mostly concentrated in 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 the secession. But when you ask me that question, it's very interesting. I think it means a lot uh, for us because uh, we have put a lot of trust in the Chinese, you know, uh, investing in South Sudan. And so it's very important for us to know that they would actually continue investing and developing, you know, the country. Um, even though there is a, a big element of South Sudanese who believe that we shouldn't put a lot of stake on the investment of China, we should, you know, invite, you know, United States of America to invest in us because they believe, you know, the quality, you know, of, of America investing in, uh, in, in South Sudan is probably going to be better than the quality of uh, Chinese investing in South Sudan. Uh, but that's very, you know, small element, you know, in, uh, in, in South Sudan. A majority, these are people who were in the bushes and all that kind of stuff, and so suddenly when a Chinese come with millions of dollars, uh, if you find somebody who's been hungry for years and then you come and give him, you know, a piece of bread, he's going to take that piece of bread, isn't it? And that's the situation of South Sudan. People, we, you know, we have been in civil war for 50 years and then suddenly we have a country that is very rich with resources and we have an oil and we have somebody who's willing to come and put in millions of dollars, actually billions of dollars, you know, to help you invest. Yes, the, the South Sudanese grabbed that. Um, but we, uh, we, we are, some few of us were very cautious about that, you know, we were very cautious about how much China can actually be involved in the internal affairs of South Sudan, um, and, and what the implications of it, you know, in the future. Those are, wow, very, very heavy things to think about. Um, Do you think that, um, I mean, you've talked a little bit about how China has um, an economic stake in the surrounding nations of South Sudan, and so peace, or some semblance of peace and stability in South Sudan is imperative um, for their continued economic benefit, which, by the way, and this is a quick little shout out to my um, <coughs> political science professor's democratic peace um, theory at work, um, which essentially the point of democratic um, peace theory essentially believes that um, people in neighboring communities, if they and continue to engage more with each other um, economically and they maintain um, democracies, then they're more likely to be at peace with each other because of their um, dependency on the next neighboring communities for economic welfare and things along those lines. I'm quite certain I've butchered that, but that's the, the, the bare bones of um, democratic peace theory. But... Um, <clears throat> Do you think that China might have some very specific um, 
opportunities or roles that it can play in bringing about peace um, in South Sudan that perhaps other countries might not be able to play? I think I think they do. They have. Uh, I, I believe China has the trust of all these governments from these neighboring countries. Uh, they certainly have the trust of the South Sudanese government in Kenya and Uganda. And um, I I don't. The, the thing what comes to when you ask this question, I was just comparing. You know the Chinese stand uh, versus the United States stand when this conflict took place, and the Chinese immediately were very practical. They went in and said, "Let's let's talk about peace and all that kind of stuff." And the American stand, from the South Sudanese point of view, they their stand was very critical. Like, oh, okay, you know, they were putting pressure on Salfa. You have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. For us to, uh, what I understood from the you know from the State Department, they have like 50 million earmark you know for humanitarian assistance for South Sudan. But this is contingent of self-care doing this, doing this, doing this. Where the Chinese didn't put any conditions. They said, look, let's sit down and see what we can find a solution for this for this problem. And so now, um, I, I'm wondering whether the South Sudanese you know. Um, relationship with with America is going to be the same or how they're going to look at Americans when the crisis happens are they are they looking at them as people who just want to criticize them or they come people come and help them even though a lot of South Sudanese believe that without without United States of America we wouldn't have our peace uh, United, States, United States is the reason why we have a country uh, but they were very critical in this situation, and I, so I believe China played a huge role and might actually play a bigger role also in the future of negotiation in Addis. And if uh, United States of America don't get in there and try to be neutral, because it is very convoluted situation in South Sudan, and for you to take a uh, side, it, it's, it's, it's damaging, you know, for them. Um, and China didn't take part. The China went and said, look, let's sit down, let's bring two, two people together, let's sit down and see what we can do, where we can find, you know, a peace and, you know, uh, and a solution for this, for this conflict. Um, so, uh, United States of America, I think, needs to reevaluate <laughs> their, their, their stand about this conflict. And I think they should go to Addis and be working there hand in hand I know they are there, but uh, it's it's the way they were. Uh, they have been seen as very critical about you know by South Sudanese. So uh, there's there's going to be a lot of mending of relationship here uh, uh, to happen. They've been seen as, if I'm understanding you right, they've been seen as being critical but not helpful. Critical but not helpful. Not even that. Some people actually will go further in saying that they are actually on the side of the rebel. You know because they were actually reinforcing what the rebels were saying. You know, the rebels' uh, condition for them to do ceasefire was to release the detainee and, you know, and, and do this and do that. Uh, in South Sudanese, they look at the, the detainees are the very reason why the situation happening right now. And 
they actually um, have would have a problem if the detainees are going to be released. And so Selfa is in a place where he has to listen to his own people. If his own people told him, do not release the detainee, they have to go to court, naturally he's going to listen to his, his people. But the Americans are looking at, at Selfa as not listening to them and doing whatever he wants to do. Therefore, he's a dictator, you know, because he's not listening to what they what what they're asking him to do. Um, for South Sudanese, they don't, you know, majority of them don't look at Selfa as a dictator. As a matter of fact, they look at him as somebody that they elected democratically, and if they have any um, differences or anything, you know, they think about him. They feel people should have gone to to, to the election would would have taken place you know in a year, and and that and that's why uh, Riyak Machar is not getting a lot of support from South Sudanese because he could have waited a year to go to the election, and decide and let the people decide whether he can be, become a president or not. Wow, um, I have one follow up question. We've talked a lot about um, the role of the Chinese. We've also talked about the role of the West. One of the things we had, and the role of the neighboring countries um, for South Sudan, well, one of the things we haven't talked about is the role of other political powerhouses, um, especially in Africa. So um, I'd say i throw out South Africa or Nigeria. Um, Egypt obviously is, has its own issues and so can't really participate. Um, and then the AU, for instance, what do you think, you know, those two countries in that one big um, inter, inter, I guess, international agency can do in helping um, mitigate the conflict? Well, AU has been involved in, in the whole, uh, since the, the, the start of the conflict in South Sudan. Um, I, I personally believe AU can actually play a bigger role uh, in, in trying to solve the problem. Um, but I think since EGAD is there and they are members of AU, Therefore, you know, that's their, you know, their contrib uh, contribution or their participation in this whole uh, conflict. Um, other political parties, uh, of course, you know, <laughs> Egypt has their own problem. They're never going to have, you know, a time even to, to look at the situation going on in South Sudan. But having said that, the Egyptian, they have been very, very supportive uh, when the, the conflict, you know, started, they were the first people who actually brought in aid, and they were, you know, uh, they wanted to help and try to solve the problems, even though they have their own situation going on in um, in Egypt. And because we are neighbors, and what's going to affect South Sudan will also affect, you know, you know, uh, Egypt at the same time. Um, and we already talked about, you know, the Kenyans, and we already talked about, you know, the, the, the other neighboring countries. So, Nigeria, South Africa, <laughs> any thoughts? I understand the Nigerians are sending in uh, uh, troops uh, through the UN. Uh, they actually... Um, were very uh, very helpful in, in trying to send him, which uh, the troops haven't been, we haven't seen them arriving yet in South Sudan, but they have promised that they're going to send in some troops. The same thing with uh, other countries, 
uh, they're going to send in troops, but they're not playing a big major role in terms of what is happening in Addis Ababa. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've done a really good job of exploring yeah. this this issue from multiple um, perspectives. Um, you've answered a lot of my questions and provided a lot of information that I don't think was even you know available or um, had been mentioned in any of you know any of the places that I had. Um, I had gone to for information on the conflict. Winslow, do you have any questions? No. Natalina, is there anything you'd like to add in this conversation as we're rounding up? I just want uh, the world to understand that um, there is a, there is a, there's a notion out there that South Sudan should have had, you know should have uh, uh, had a secession from the north. They should have still be was one country because they were not able to govern themselves. And I, I don't think that's true. Uh, I think South Sudan, just like any other country, it's, uh, it's a new country with a lot of challenges. Uh, and maybe challenges that not any country has. Uh, but definitely, South Sudan uh, can actually be a great nation. It can govern itself. Uh, we ha we're going through a very difficult patch. Um, but just like any other, you know, difficulties in one's life, it will pass, and and people will come together and will realize that they have a beautiful country, that they can actually develop and they can live in peace. After all these years of suffering, I think South Sudanese deserve that. Very very well put. Thank you so much for your time. Natalina, we're so grateful that you joined us on today's super awesome Cowries and Rice podcast. And I believe that we are um, almost done. But before we sign off, um, Natalina, how do people find you on the Internet? Do you have a website or a Twitter account that you'd like to share? Um, I, I am very old school. I don't have Twitter. I don't think I can actually have Twitter. don't have time to get people to follow me. Um, but I have a Facebook account. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and it's under, I'll spend that. It's R-O-U-N-R-A-C, Runrach, Juke, that's my nickname. Wonderful. Um, and Winslow, how do people find you? Uh, CowriesRice.blogspot.com um, and my Twitter handle is uh, Winslow underscore R and yeah I just talk a lot about China Africa stuff over the over the past few days I've been um, really tweeting up a storm as I've been hearing um, comments of China's role in in the possible cessation of hostility so I'm very interested in that and, and following that um, yeah, that's sort of it. I can be found also on Cowries and Rice. This is NCAM here. <coughs> and I can be, um, and I can also be found at um, ncamkalu.wordpress.com. And I tweet at the handle um, at ncamekalu. And I tweet about really whatever catches my fancy, which winds up being a lot of African politics, um, sometimes transportation, um, a lot of international development, and sports. So that's about it for today's episode. We would like to thank Natalina Malal so kindly for taking time to meet with us today, as well as African Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. 
We have applied to put it up on the BlackBerry Network. And if you have any recommendations about where else we should post it, we are listening. We hope to reach more media platforms in the future. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.